The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Oh, and real pilots fly Cessnas. Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really no good background noise That's yeah right. this That's is right. this is the best seat in the house That's right. we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got now. Sky riders they, now does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're on site clear away turkey special ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and alpha talk about first i forgot to figure that out <laughs> breakfast we could talk about breakfast we could talk about breakfast yeah waffles <laughs> waffles march is coming sooner than you think huh uh, yeah well in, in sun and fun's early this year it is early this year that's odd isn't it I, david you've been a sun and fun guy for a million years why is sun and fun early this year uh it's adjusted according to uh easter and passover and all that stuff oh okay all right. Um, They're not, we, we don't want to give up sun and fun for Lent. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no never. Not. Yeah, March 29 to April 3 I this know. year. It really floats all over the year. place because I guess it's like David said, it's the Easter thing. It's uh, because I know that the, it, what the heck was that? That was, that was my phone telling me I have a new email. Sounds like your wake up call. Your phone, to, oh, your f- mobile phone. Um, yeah, because Sun and Fun a couple of years ago was on my birthday, which is the 18th, um, and now it's now it's it's March instead of April, so it floats all over the place. But if it's Easter, that explains it. Anyways, yeah, I mean that's that's been the drill since it moved into this mostly April time frame. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, bears remembering that originally Sun and Fun was in January, and it was like a three or four day weekend thing. And uh, the the people that they wanted to attract came, uh-huh. but said, you know, you guys might want to move this a little later because the weather in our part of the world sucks so bad it's hard to get to Florida. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So they moved it to February and then to March because it overlapped St. Patrick's Day for a number of years, and that was almost a deadly combination. I can imagine, yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I like this date because it means if I come down a week or so early, I could actually sneak off and go to uh, spring training games. Um, uh-huh. See, if it's all in uh-huh. April, by then spring training is over. But spring training oh, lasts. I, yeah. That's, that's baseball, right? Yes, that's baseball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> baseball. So listen, I was... Uh, so last episode, I was in uh, lovely Geneva, New York, uh, on the shores of the oddly shaped Lake Seneca, and uh, uh, driving home from there, uh, my my coworker and I, uh, we stopped in Schenectady of New York, of all places. Um, he has he had family there, has family there, and he wanted to stop. We were driving right through the area. He wanted to stop and have a cup of coffee with his aunt and uncle, so we did. 
Um, and uh, and as as sweet as it was that he wanted to have coffee with his aunt and uncle, I passed on this idea. And uh, I noticed that his aunt and uncle lived right nearby the Schenectady Airport, which for random odd reasons I had noticed um, both on the flyover returning from Chicago earlier, and I'd been looking at it on the maps and thought it looked interesting from afar. I figured I'd go check this out. So I took a little drive over to uh, Schenectady, New York uh, Airport, and uh, what a cool little airport! Airport, I liked it. Um, it's uh, it was a it was it was an IFR day, so there wasn't a lot of flying going on. Um, but uh, it's a, a a reasonable sized, it seems. You know, the, the GA ramp has a a number of airplanes on it, and that was kind of interesting. It's got a, a national Air National Guard uh, uh, base on the far side of the airport, and. Uh, um, so that must make it kind of interesting and active. I didn't go over there uh, to that side of the airport because I thought it was unwise to kind of randomly wander in in my rider truck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think that was a good call. Yeah, on your so part. so me and my, you know, you, yeah. you don't have too much to worry about, Jack. You've got hair on your head. Yeah, I know. Now, 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 oh, man, we're going to get mail. Um, so, uh, so I stayed away from the, uh, me and my rider truck, we stayed away from the National Guard base, but we did wander around the GA side of the airport. Very, very interesting. Two things of note. First of all, uh, there was a, a really interesting museum. I, I wish I'd had more time, um, because there's a really interesting, and I, I didn't write down the name of it, but it's, uh, it's something like the East Coast Aerosciences Museum or something like that. Um, mm. and, uh, it looked really cool. They had a monster hangar that somebody later on Twitter told me is a former, I don't know what, GE hangar or something like that um, that's been given or donated or bought or whatever. Um, that, 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 that rings true. Yeah, GE used to have a pretty good operation that's connected to it. Okay. Memory. Well, now the hangar uh, presumably has uh, displays in it. Again, I didn't go inside. And then they had a couple other buildings that, had, that were labeled you know, other exhibits, and they had a big uh, outside uh, on the ramp, a whole bunch of old warbirds. Um, uh, you know, they had a bunch of uh, sort of uh, Vietnam-era, Korea, well, yeah, I guess there was a Korea era airplane there, um, and uh, cool looking museum. I and, and so now I need to figure. I think maybe when I go to Oshkosh next summer, assuming I drive, I may schedule a half a day and stop in Schenectady and check out. Well, you know that's interesting. You, you bring that up because I had a um, I don't know epiphany occurrence uh, thought, whatever you want to call it, a few weeks ago, uh, talking with some people about a museum near where they live, and I believe that's, as I recall, was in Patterson, Louisiana. Okay. And I got to thinking about this, and, of course, we're all familiar with Air and Space Museum. We're all familiar with the Air Force Museum in Dayton. Um, and, you know, lesser but still well-known museum, the EAA uh, Museum. They're in Oshkosh right. next, to, uh, next to Whitman Field. But there are a lot of lesser, shall we say, lesser-known uh, aviation museums scattered around the country, and for that matter, perhaps the world. And I don't think these have really ever been cataloged. I don't think they've ever really been in, discussed. So I'm going to kind of go out on a limb here, I think, and yeah. uh, and ask our listeners. Um, I'll, I'll create the thread. Someone else can create the thread on the forum. But I'd like to know more about some of these lesser-known I think it's museum, a great idea. Museums. Yeah. I'd like to know, you know, where they are, what they have. Do they have a website? Is there contact information? Uh, not that I'm going to, you know, compile a database or a list or anything like that. But I'd like to get a little bit better handle on 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 where some of these are, and uh, um, you know, just kind of get a feel for what's out there. Yeah, 
I think it's a great I, I, idea. Yeah. I think it's yeah. I, I think it's I think it's a. Uh, uh, I think there's a lot of treasures out there that we don't know about. Oh uh, yeah, that we don't uh, we don't know even exist, and uh, th- that's important. Yeah, uh, especially well, these days when when we're losing so much of it all. We've got three that would fall under that heading here in Kansas. Uh, uh-huh. uh, here in Wichita is the Kansas Aviation Museum, which is housed in a uh, nineteen I think it's nineteen twenty seven Art Deco. Uh, airport terminal building. What we used to be Wichita Municipal Airport, it's now McConnell Air Force Base. And about 20 years ago, the uh, museum got deed to the building. Beautiful place. Uh, and they've got quite a collection sitting out, unfortunately, on an open ramp. Uh, uh, some interesting airplanes. There's a, a, a an air power museum up in Salina. Uh, there's another very extensive museum in Liberal, Kansas, way the heck down in the southwest corner. That's that's an oxymoronic name for a town in Kansas. What was that again? I missed it. What was it? That's an oxymoronic liberal. name for a town uh, in Kansas. Liberal, Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know that that. I've, I've kind of felt the same way ever since Bob Dole's presidential campaign turned the word liberal into a bludgeon. <laughs> uh, but it's nice folks and beautiful museum. Uh, definitely worth a stop. Uh, there's a museum on the field at Addison Airport in Texas. Uh, Gemini. Uh, seemed like a, there's another one uh, over in Fort Worth. Uh, maybe at Meacham? Yeah. No, 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 no. It's a Fort Worth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have enough um, syllables. In yeah, I had a bunch. Uh, I, I hear. Uh, I hear if the Dallas Cowboys don't have a better season, that they may turn Texas Stadium into an aviation museum. So <laughs> we had a bunch in uh, in uh, uh, the great uh, California area. Uh, uh, you know, there's a great one. The first one that pops to my mind is there was one at uh, Oakland Airport um, that we're talking. Like, and again, I haven't a clue what the name was. I'd have to dig it out. Um, there used to be one up at Santa Rosa Airport, up in north of the San Francisco Bay Area, that was nice. Um, you're right, Jeb. There's there are all these little independent. Oh, I yeah. should say there was one that I was very close to my heart, much smaller, but uh, down in San Martin, California, south of uh, of the Bay Area, um, adjacent to the uh, South County Airport, um, that was very nice. Yeah, San, San Diego has an extraordinarily good air and space museum. Yeah. Uh, it really surprised me. It was there for a photographer's uh, uh, convention, aviation photographer's convention, a few years ago. Yeah. And one of the, uh, you know, one of the perks of the convention was we got into the museum uh, before it was open to the public uh-huh. to right. to take a bunch of pictures and you know two hours of kid in the candy store. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, they're what? scattered all around, and yeah. it's really quite quite uh, amazing. East of the L.A. area um, is, I believe it's Chico, California, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, where the, the whole airport is practically a museum. Chico yeah. is just, just no, you know, notorious, famous, legendary for being a, a warbird home. Uh, people restoring warbirds is a formal museum, and you know, practically every other hangar is a museum. At, at Ch- Ch- I think it's Chico. I always get Chico and Chino confused, but Chico is the one down south, I'm pretty sure. Is that uh, near the Chia Pet Museum? Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, Sounds yeah. like a bad Cheech and Chong episode. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> and then there's but the, you, you you made note of Schenectady having a uh, through the fence operation or a through well, the fence community. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a second. Let me just complete the thought here by saying I looked it up. Um, the museum at Schenectady is the Empire State Aerosciences Museum, oh. uh, and they do a website. It's esam.org. Um, and uh, I'm not going to dig too deeply into it because I don't want to load down my web my uh, internet connection here. But uh, uh, check out the website if you're in the area. Check out the museum. Uh, oh, and and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the uh, the the very fine and growing uh, museum operation that's at uh, at Sun and Fun headquarters on Lakeland uh-huh. Airport. Uh, yeah. They, yeah, they've got a very active little operation there. Yeah, so I'm driving my rider truck um, around the muse- the uh, <laughs> airport, and I'm just kind of poking around. You know, I'm like driving along the edge of the museum grounds, and then I go drive back out into the public road. I mean, they're all public roads. Back onto the busy kind of thoroughfare, and I drove a little way further down, and then go into another access road to get near where the GA ramp is and where the big FBO is. Um, and I'm driving along. Now, keep in mind, I'm on a public road here. I'm not inside the fence. I'm driving along this public road just outside the fence, and I see one of the, uh, a, 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 a diamond-shaped yellow traffic sign that we see these all the time, only this one says, warning, aircraft crossing. And I'm going, hmm. oh, well, that's interesting. And I get a little further, and I see a yellow line going straight across the street because they have a batch of hangars outside the airport fence uh, across the public street, all right? And these hangars are just completely out in the open. I mean, there's, just, there's no fence around them. It's just a building that is a bunch of hangars, uh, tea hangars, I guess. None of them are open when so I was there. Th- would that be an across-the-road operation? Uh, yeah. And I'm thinking, well, this is kind of interesting. Uh, maybe this happens all the time, but I'd never seen such a thing. And so clearly, and again, it was an IFR day, so there wasn't a lot of activity. But it, it appeared that the way it worked is that people would taxi from their hangar, and they would taxi across this public street. Uh, and, and, and there's like a serious public street, unlike, you know, like for example, Jeb lives in a neighborhood that's basically public streets that are taxiways. This was like your basic road going around the outside of the airport perimeter. And, uh, and, and then on the airport side of the road, there was a big wide gate, you know, uh, automated gate that presumably people, I don't know what they did, whether they had a clicker in their airplane or they called a phone number or however they got it open and they'd taxi through the fence and, and go to the, go to the runway. Um, I, I just, you know, in this day and age of through the fence operations being challenged, I just thought it was kind of interesting. And uh, my only question is, has the TSA been notified? Yeah, really, really. So here's what I, so I'm, I'm motivated. So I'm, this is kind of curious. I think I need to, at least very least, at the very least, I need a picture of this sign that says caution aircraft crossing. All right. And so I stop my rider truck and I park my rider truck, you know, by the side of the road and I get out with my camera and I start taking pictures and I'm thinking, oh, this doesn't look too suspicious. No. <laughs> so anyways, uh, that was you cool. Know. Yeah. So that was uh, my day, my visit to Schenectady. I really was only there for about 20 minutes because my friend, we, we didn't want to dawdle too long. We needed to get home. But uh, Jack, if you're going to, if you're going to do that very much, we, we, we really need to shave your head. <laughs> that's right thank you thank you yes that's right and and, and you need some tats <laughs> welcome folks to episode 213 of uncontrolled airspace the general aviation podcast recording this uh episode uh early in the day on what's today friday november 12 2010 and yeah it's not beer 30 it's coffee 30 oh man it's, oh man it's, it's coffee oh one you know. yeah it's it's literally oh dark 30 here um 
Joining me here in the virtual hangar, a couple of good friends. First of all, Dave Higdon's out there uh, back in Wichita, Kansas. How are you doing, David? Oh, we're just doing lovely. We uh, are, are finally having to uh, you know, clean out the blowers and the, and the heat exchangers in the furnaces and, and, and get out the winter coats and all that. Uh, it's, it's transitioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely fall back in New England. I'm not in New England right now, but uh, more on that later. Also here in the virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Where the have the leaves changed? Have you had the first snowfall yet down there in Florida? We don't have any leaves down here, man. Give me a break. <laughs> we have palm fronds. Get a, get a grip. Yeah, I know. <laughs> How you doing? What's um, going on? Uh, I got the windows open. You know, uh, the pool's a little bit too cold to swim in, you know, unless you're really, really, really into shrinkage. Um, <laughs> um, but there's you know a gentle breeze and and uh, you know the sun is up and then the deer are playing and alligators are kind of staring at you from across the pond and and uh, it's a great day you know another great day and another another day in paradise yeah, you know yeah yeah so have you named your alligator yet there your your backyard alligator I actually I, I know of two in the pond right now yeah so so I, I haven't I haven't you know Wally is too easy. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to you know put some put some brain cells to this project and and come up. Maybe we should have a contest in the forums or something. You know, name Jeb's alligators. Yeah, um, yeah. I, a, my, we'll, we'll call them we'll call them John and Martha. How's that? John and oh <laughs> oh. All right, I'm sorry. I love. All them. right then. Yes, that was that was Hodgson. H o d g s o n. I'm awful sorry. <coughs> Kings are a treasure. They are a huge benefit <laughs> to generalization. No, they, they are they, just they, such an easy target. It's they just are. To, they're really lovely people. They are lovely people, and they do wonderful things for all of us in aviation. But they're just they're fun to. Well, yeah. I mean, you gotta. Yeah, and, and and the good thing about John Martha, and I don't know them personally, so I, I'm I'm kind of crossing a line here when I, when I use first names, but they have a sense of humor. I'm I'm good. I'm so glad. Well, they no, that. I mean, they they don't take themselves that seriously. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. As seriously as as you know, for example, we take ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> you know, that, that would be but, hard. Uh, uh, no, I mean they're 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 huge assets to the community, and uh, you know they're they're doing. They deserve everything they've they've achieved. Uh, and just the uh, just the way that they've um, um, turned uh, into chicken salad, shall we say? The uh, the recent episode where they uh, were detained mm-hmm. upon landing uh, uh, their 172, um, it just speaks to you know the professionalism and the high class that they exude. Yeah, yeah, sounds right to me. Sounds right to me. And uh, yeah, we got to name the alligator. I know of I know of two, and I. Um, Buddy of mine and I were watching uh, uh, some things uh, earlier in the week, and, and heard heard two or three talking to each other while we were looking at a at a fourth. Um, so time out. Time out. The alligators <laughs> were talking to each other. What are you talking? Yeah, they what, make noise. What kind of noise they, do they make? It's it's not unlike a bullfrog. Oh no, that's because that was lunch from earlier, right? Uh, you know, they were. <laughs> They were definitely having a conversation. I think they were talking about the lunch they were looking at. Yeah, could be, could be. But could be. Uh, that's a whole other topic. Yeah, and I you know just, he's a little bit big to stuff under the log just yet. But if we wait until he comes out of the swimming pool, he'll be smaller. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna not comment one iota on that. All right, now, I'm, and I'm Jack I'm a, Hodgson, and I'm talking to you. <laughs> 
I'm coming to you today from high atop the Venetian Hotel alongside the fabled Las Vegas Strip in Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, you're in the Venetian. How cool. I am in the Venetian. I've never been in the Venetian before. This is a cool hotel. Um, and uh, unlike the Mandalay Bay, where I've been staying for the last few years, uh, we're in the heart of it here. Um, you know, the Mandalay Bay is way down the southern end of the Strip. Um, it's almost, well, I guess it is the last hotel on the south end of the Strip. And so there's not an awful lot around it. Um, and uh, But here... Um, at the Venetian, which is actually on the grounds of the fabled Sands Hotel, which is a, uh, a, uh, a true Las Vegas legendary hotel that's gone now. Um, but we're surrounded by, by all the great hotels. Caesars Palace is right there, and Circus Circus is right there, and the newer hotels, the Mirage and the Treasure Island, and just, you know, you could go on forever. Um, there's, there's a lot happening outside the door here. So this is kind of cool. Um, as usual, though, not that I'm getting really a chance to get outside the door because they, they work us like uh, crazy people here. And, uh, and, and that's why we're not doing the podcast on an evening because I can't count on not having to work in an evening. Um, and also it would be like the middle of the night for you guys. So, uh, so we're doing it at 5 a.m. There'd be a lot of dead air. Las Vegas time, yeah. yeah. So when, anyway. when, when are they going to release you from Lost Wages? Uh, I'm here for a while. We're going to do the next episode from here as well. So, oh, wow. Uh, Excuse me, I had to cough there. Anyways, yeah, so I'm here in Las Vegas, and uh, uh, hoping to, hopefully I'm going to get a chance to uh, escape for a couple of evenings and go uh, visit some airplane friends out here, but we'll see if that really happens, and uh, that's where I am now. Anyways. Cool, cool. What's going on in aviation here? Uh, Jeb, you mm-hmm. did, what's the story with this AOPA Air Safety Foundation? Did they change their name, or did they just change their I, mission, or what's going I on? I don't know. I, I don't know. Did, I, didn't, I didn't get you, the memo. You, I was going to say you didn't see the memo. No, I didn't see the memo. I didn't see the press release. I didn't see the memo. They made a big deal out of this about, uh, I don't know, three four months ago. Uh, They, uh, you know, there was the AOPA Foundation, which was kind of a charitable organization that raised money for AOPA programs. There was the Air Safety Foundation, which had long and, and and very productive history. Of uh, tracking pilot safety, running pinch hitter courses and weekend ground schools, and increasingly with its own safety uh, uh, classes online now, uh, very aggressive that way. They merged those two into the AOPA Foundation. I don't know why they put a lot of money coming up into the new name, uh, and now they're. One big fundraising operation and one big service operation all under one umbrella. And I think that that was uh, designed to create some administrative efficiencies and streamline the uh, financials a little bit and and make them more cost efficient. Okay. Now that you pointed me in that direction, I've managed to surf around here a little bit on the AOPA website. And there's a... uh, Oh, I think it was May of this year release. AOPA announces intent to merge AOPA Foundation and Air Safety Foundation um, into a single entity known as the as the AOPA Foundation. Um, da, 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 doesn't tell me anything about how the institute came into being. Though. Maybe that's I need to back up here. I don't know. I don't know. I just I was surfing, uh, doing some work work uh, the other day, and uh, looking at some stuff on the um, the what was used to be the Air Safety Foundation uh, website, and um, 
uh, I said, wait a second, they're calling this an institute now. And of course, I was like, what is going on? Um, but um, thought I'd stick that in the uh, um, in the in the lineups, as it were, uh, uh, yeah. for an episode, and, and uh, figure out what was going on. It's interesting. The website still says uh, slash ASF Air Safety Foundation is the as the acronym. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, again, I didn't get memo. Right. Yeah. I, I wonder. I, I somewhere in the back of my head, I I have this that that these names like foundation and and institute have legal meanings and and you can't call yourself a foundation if you're such and such or i wonder if maybe this is you know some sort of legally required change given the nature of the evolving mission of AOPA i i i kind of don't think so um on on one level and of course then i'd have to ask you what do you mean by evolving mission well you know yeah okay I don't want to go too deeply into this, but it just seems like every week there's another story about AOPA doing something dramatically different than they used to, and I just I don't know what to think about this these days. We've talked about this in the past, you know, and uh, you know, from the ridiculous to the sublime. Um, and, Some of uh, the other web operations have been talking about it a lot in half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's this big story about, and I don't even know if I'm going to bring it up because apparently the whole story is like now fuzzy whether. What is it? Avweb broke this story recently about how everybody or a lot of big dogs at AOPA got raises, and and then now I've seen a response from AOPA saying no, 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 that's not true, and now I don't know what's going on. So um, I think I think broke is the correct uh, adjective for that story. Yeah, uh, you think Avweb got it wrong? That story that story was broken when it ran. I'm not sure what you mean by that. You think Avweb got it wrong, or you think it's a a, 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 a sad, unfortunate story? I think Avweb got some of it wrong, uh-huh. uh, and uh, got called on it very traumatically, very aggressively uh-huh. by AOPA yeah. because uh, it, Jim and I have exchanged a little bit on this, and it's certainly an understandable. It, how it, that error could happen, uh, that it kind of looked like they had the information that should have kept the error from happening, but didn't interpret it properly or didn't account for it correctly or something. Anyway, it's turned into a new opportunity for more in-depth communication and idea exchanges between AOPA and AVWeb. <laughs> you used to be a PR guy, didn't you, Dave? <laughs> no, Dave's never been a PR guy. <laughs> He's got a lot of contact. Um, it's rubbed off, apparently. Um, one year, one year in working for AOPA in the PR shop. One year. There you go. See, that's what I'm saying. And uh, but uh, you know, it's it's a little early in the morning for the full uh, dose of uh, sarcasm and 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 being sarcastic to kind of creep through the sound system here. But uh, they actually made a joint announcement, AVWEB and AOPA, that they were going to try to resolve this misunderstanding, mistake, error in reporting, whatever, by getting together for a detailed, frank exchange of information and in, in, uh, uh, unprecedented. And it's kind of like, it sounds to me like just an in-depth interview and in-depth interviews and doing deep background for a big feature, that's not unprecedented. Sorry. Uh, it's been done with AOPA 
multiple times, and this just happens to be the latest incarnation of it with the new leadership. So, okay. Well, I yeah. guess we'll wait for it to shake out and see what the what the real story is here. I'm, yeah, I'm whole, waiting for the made-for-TV movie myself. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing, you know, and I don't, you know, although, you know, obviously I have uh, professional and personal connections with, with AdWeb, I don't have any insights uh, on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, it, it strikes me that, you know, both sides have kind of failed to communicate a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, their announcement yesterday about a joint uh, effort to... Uh, um, you know, talk about some of these issues uh, does strike me as um, to go. Uh, there needs to be some communication. There needs to be uh, um, some openness. There needs to be some some you know some questions asked. Is um, well, they, not not because you know there's anything nefarious going on or anything like that, but because no. there is there is a new leadership. There is uh, um, you know a, a lot of new things happening, uh, redirections, that kind of thing going on at AOPA. And they haven't always done a great job of communicating what that is. Uh, so, you know, whether, whether uh, this will be that opportunity, I don't know. Um, the other thing, of course, here, too, is timing. Um, um, you know, if uh, um, AvWeb or any other outlet, for that matter, has started asking these questions, um, you know, some time ago or waited a few weeks, uh, they wouldn't be on the crunch of putting Summit together. And we're talking, of course, uh, uh, on the uh, the second day of the AOPA summit out in Long Beach. Right. right. Um, so I mean, everybody the role in AOPA was, you know, um, four square, you know, leaning into the wind to try to get the try to get to summit and get everything set up and and do the whole thing there. And uh, just you know, timing was bad all the way around. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and AOPA has, like Jeb said, there's been a lot of changes going on. There's some new directions on it. Uh, I've gone on the UCAP blog and, and raised questions about some of this myself, and they were very quick to respond. Uh, and, and Jeb exchanged some note with the guy that responded, uh, and this has been picked up questions about this, criticisms about this, observations about all the, the flux over there, uh, not just focused at, at AvWeb, Arrow News Network has, has had a lot of listener input on it. Uh, it's a little different than the kind of flux that we saw when Phil Boyer replaced John Baker, what, 20 years ago or close to it. And... Uh, you know, new times, different age. Uh, AOPA's magazine, for example, has always been considered a competitor to Flying Magazine, but not a lot else. And these days, with the electronic news efforts and newsletters of AOPA and EAA and and and, and others, the the depth and the amount of competition between the publishing organizations of these associations and the for-profit publishing uh, community has gotten pretty pretty uh, uh, tight because the, the dollar pool has shrunk in the last couple of years. In case you haven't noticed, your magazines are lighter because of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you throw that into the mix with some of the critiques and some of the questions uh, of members and the recent uh, increase in dues, which a lot of us felt was way past due, but they'd always taken great pride in not increasing dues at AOPA. 
So, you know, there's people are adjusting and they're trying to get some questions answered. And AOPA is trying to uh, keep the uh, best face forward and keep moving into the wind. So, yeah. yeah. Anyways, let's move on here. Um, it's as far as the pay story is concerned, I guess it'll shake out and we'll figure out what yeah, the, I mean, it really it's, is it's, the story. It is, it is what it is. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Uh, so, David, uh, this, uh, tell us about this website or this event that you found regarding uh, aviation history through fine art and photography. It's, uh, uh, what's it called, Autry? Uh, the, Autry the Autry Museum, yes, sir. What's that all about? Uh, the Autry is a fine art museum, relatively new operation in Los Angeles. And uh, they are... Uh, they are putting together a collection of uh, photographs, predominantly, uh, tracing the evolution of, uh, of aviation. Uh, and a lot of this is fine art photography. Uh, some of it's documentary, some of it's new. But uh, the, the collection's called Sky Dreamers. It was supposed to be going up this fall. Uh, I found out about this because of a, a bunch of photo lists that I'm on, uh, which includes you know invitations to exhibit or invitations to new exhibits. And this came as an invitation to attend the opening, which is now going to be, so this gives you plenty of time to plan if you're going to be in L.A. It's going to open in April 29 of 2011 and be on display through August 21st. Uh, it's 150... Uh, images, predominantly f- photographs, uh, that chart the story of the men and women uh, who developed aviation and space travel, going all the way back to the Montgolfier brothers' uh, balloon era in the uh, 1700s. Oh, is that the one we're seeing on the homepage there? Is that are, are we all seeing the same image on the homepage? We may not be, for all I know. I don't know. Well, that that's that's a uh, that's a form of a uh, airship. Right, mm-hmm. that was uh, attempted uh, very early in the uh, 20th century. Right, that, is that the? Uh, is, oh, I'm blanking on his name. The famous. It's not the Hindenburg. No, no, no. The legend. Yeah, no, it's not the Lindenburg. <laughs> the legendary French guy who flew across the English Channel. What's his name? Um, uh, starts with an L, maybe. Um, there you go. Oh, come on, he was one of the first guys who really popularized, um, um, like you know. Airships and uh, David, I'm shocked you don't know the name of this this guy's name off the top of your head. I'm uh, <coughs> Turbo Ed. Yeah, Turbo Ed. That's who it is. Never mind. All right. Um, <laughs> cool pictures, David. I agree. Uh, it's this would be a cool. This would be a very very nice exhibit to uh, to check out. And uh, um, and yeah, this episode will probably be on the on the internet by April 29th. But you never know. Uh, no, it will. Yeah, so if you're going to be in LA anytime in that in that window, and you got an afternoon or a morning to 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 kill, uh, the link to the uh, to the Sky Dreamers uh, page at the Autry dot uh, org website will be with the show notes. And uh, I I know if I'm out there and and can carve out the time while that exhibit's in place, that's something I want to see. Yeah. So. Uh... Santos Dumont. There's an L in there someplace, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's an L in there someplace. <laughs> I don't know why I thought there was an L. Uh, yeah, and I don't know why. You know, he was uh, Brazilian. 
He was, but he did this stuff in France, right? Is that what I'm? That's about? true. Okay. Yeah. See, that's uh, I, I apologize for my crude understanding of av early aviation history. But you uh, were looking at that map I sent you this morning. That's probably what. And it maybe was. you were thinking of Louis Blériot. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't. I was thinking of Santos Dumont. I'm, I'm almost certain. I, I did a little go quick Google search, and that's the name that jumps out at me. I'm pretty sure that's who I was thinking of. Um, but anyways, uh, moving on. Nice pictures, David. Thank you for the pointer. I appreciate that. Um, so jumping ahead a little bit in the list, um, we, uh, we've been talking off and on over the last uh, bunch of episodes about this uh, Lua um, lineup and weight change. Um, and particularly, we were talking um, about the, our discovery that in some places, I guess, outside the U.S., they use a conditional version of, the, of this uh, clearance um, that uh, at least I think Jeb and I were troubled by. I don't remember whether David was yeah, We not. were talking a couple of episodes ago about conditional clearances. Yeah. And I just wanted to call attention to the fact that one of our listeners, um, a, a professional airline pilot in Europe, um, it has ch checked in through the forums. Um, and, and, and a number of people have checked in through the forums to say that they don't think this is as big a deal as we might have made it out to be. Um, uh, I, I particularly you know, give a lot of credibility to this professional pilot, this uh, airline pilot, uh, who writes, he goes by the name uh, Biggles71, which of course makes him a professional airline pilot. Um, <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me some of the names that people give themselves on the internet these days. Biggles71 writes, uh, listened to your episode concerning the position and hold uh, and conditional clearances. I've been using conditional clearances in Europe and most of the world for years as an airline captain and GA pilot. Uh, it's what ICAO, a uh, radio phraseologist, phraseology describes in their RT procedures. A clearance would sound like uh, golf, uh, GJT uh, behind the landing 737 lineup runway 25 behind. And then he writes, he says, notice that the word behind is used twice in the phrase, uh, just in case one gets lost in a double transmission or so. Um, he says it's particularly useful to reduce runway occupancy rates at busy airports, uh, he says, I do find it safe as long as a strict radio discipline is applied, and I do not know of any accidents that happened due to the use of this phrase. Once again, this has been around for decades outside the U.S. So uh, I, I, that's a valuable perspective to me anyways, and uh, I appreciate him checking in there. It, it, Bjorn, it, it, that's good stuff, Bjorn. We appreciate <laughs> uh, you know, probably the biggest issue here in the States is going to be the fact that uh, we speak so many varieties of English. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's just unfamiliarity. Maybe we're just ugly Americans and we don't like change, you know, or whatever. But uh, uh, that's interesting. So what's next here? Let's see. Uh, uh, oh, so here's the interesting story of the week, if you ask me. Um, uh, so big, well, for a couple of days anyways, uh, big news in, in, uh, in at least here in, Ma in New England, in Massachusetts uh, media, uh, about a, uh, a flight school. Uh, in Stowe, Massachusetts, at an airport that's known as Minuteman uh, Airport, um, the operator of this uh, flight school, as well as a number of students, uh, came uh, to the attention of the authorities because apparently uh, many of these, all of these uh, students were uh, undocumented uh, alien uh, uh, foreigner from outside the United States, not U.S. citizens. And uh, um, 
there's just a lot of questions about who was going to be arrested and whether this guy was school was going to be shut down. And, you know, of course, the initial, you know, excitement about this was, are these terrorists in training? Uh, very, very quickly, uh, that was ruled out. Uh, that does not appear to be the case. Um, this was just an instance of a, uh, a flight school that, I, and again, this is based on reading a couple of newspaper stories, what I'm describing here, a flight school that was specializing in uh, uh, training uh, uh, people to fly who, who were undocumented, uh, you know, residents of the country. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's kind of a bizarre story. It's calmed down a little bit, at least from my perspective, over the last um, week or so. But uh, it was a bit of a thing for a while. And uh, there was a lot of question about whether these people were going to be arrested, deported, whatnot. And I don't know. Did you guys hear about this story? Uh, oh, it? yeah. Yeah? I saw something about it. And, and the, original, the initial article I saw uh, was... I don't know. It was confusing. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I didn't really know what to make of it. It sounded like, you know, much ado, A, much ado about nothing, B, um, uh, a little bit, um, um, I don't know, uh, xenophobic, but. Uh, um, <sighs> yeah. Well, one interesting, I have two interesting things that I want to call attention to this story. The first is these people, at least some of them, apparently got their TSA or Homeland Security approval in order to take flight lessons. Right, right. right. In spite of the fact that they didn't have, uh, you know, uh, uh, active visas. Um, I, I, th I, think, I think what's happened, you know, anyway, what I've been able to piece together here is um, these, this group of people independently uh, applied for and were approved for uh, entry into the U.S. and to, to, to conduct flight training. This was a, some time ago. Yeah. And B, that approval in uh, in whatever immigration paperwork or, or approval paperwork um, had had since expired. B, uh, but they were still in the country doing their flight training, um, and no one had thought to either check on them or or update the paperwork. And that includes the, the not only the government but the TSA or ICE, whatever. Um, I, that's kind of what I gleaned from this. And all of a sudden, there's a great big hoo-ha um, that, oh, my God, people are in the United States training to fly airplanes. Yeah, I know. And they're not from this country. So you're oh, saying, what the hey? So you're and saying I'm that they got, their, they got their Homeland Security or whoever it is, TSA, uh, flight training approval while they were still legal in the country is what Right. That, yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. And uh, what, what it sounds like to me is their visa simply expired. And, and that's, you know... That's the only thing that that is amiss here. Um, now, we can we can debate the seriousness of that, but I, you know, okay, fine. I think we have a few other things to worry yeah. about. Here's the other thing about the, the, the David. Is there anything you want to say about that aspect of the story? Because I have a more interesting aspect of the story. At least I think it is, David. Well, it just it, it, part of this goes to the root of how complicated and how confusing uh, that we've made the process of uh, uh, foreign nationals who have a legitimate desire, legitimate reason to want to take flying lessons. Uh, you, you know, you, you've got to deal with the State Department. You've got to deal with immigration. Now you've got to deal with TSA. And the flight school's got to deal with TSA. Uh, and all these guys were from Brazil. Uh, it kind right, of that bastion of, of, of terrorism. Yeah, I know, right, yeah. Right, well, uh, it, it, you know, we the terrorists come from all different parts of the world, even though we seem to be focused uh, myopically a little bit on uh, uh, one area over another, uh, one religion over another, uh, and, and that's all nonsense. But 
the, the fact that all these guys were apparently from Brazil or reportedly from Brazil, uh, they're all training together. It sounds suspiciously to me like, you know, a, an organized ab initio, ab initio program. So here's the part of the story. You know that how I, deadly ab initio programs yeah, are. Right. They turn out airline pilots. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, I know. Right. It's like, but you got to look out for those soccer fans who fly. You know, it's like, uh, look out. Um, here's the part of the story that I think is more fascinating, all right, is that, so it's good that there's no, you know, nothing nefarious about this. There were no bad actors here. It was just a bunch of people want to learn how to fly. All right. Given that, all right, I think the guy who ran this flight school, whose name apparently was, oh, I'm not finding it real quickly here because I want to say his name out loud. Ahmed? No. <laughs> Whatever his name was. All right. Um, I want to, I think, given that there was nothing, you know, nothing, you know, no terrorism involved here, nothing bad. All right. I think this guy apparently had at least 34 active flight students. All right. That seems to me to be a really successful flight training operation. And uh, I, I would agree, especially in, in Massachusetts. I think, I, think, I think we need to like shake this guy, guy's hand and send him on tour to FBOs around America to train FBO operators on how to build your flight training operation. I mean, Maybe AOPA should hire him. Yeah. I mean, this is awesome. He had 34 active flight training. You know, I mean, I don't know if they were all primary students, but still – I mean, he was yeah. doing a good job at spreading the word and teaching people how to fly. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not dismissing the possibility that he kind of broke some rules here. But, but my goodness, he knows, he's, he's figured something out here that a lot yeah. of FBOs and flight training operations haven't. Uh, you know, that's, how does it? <laughs> None of these guys showed any of the indications that the uh, 9-11 terrorists uh, in reality, terrorist who took flight training showed, you know, which was basically, I don't need to know how to land. These guys all want to know how to land. Oh, yeah. These people all wanted to learn how to fly. A number of them were interviewed in the news afterwards. and uh, They want to be able to use the airplane again. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. There you go. Well, and it, one gentleman that uh, was in the follow-up story, he wants to be an airline pilot. He wants to be an airline pilot here in the United States. Hopes to become a citizen. Uh, boy, that's just a deadly combination. We just can't stand for that. I know, really. Yeah. I know. Pretty soon, pretty soon, they'll be wanting they'll they'll want to be trained to, uh, you know, rent and drive rider trucks and shave their heads. <laughs> okay. There's another story that came out of the forums that uh, I, I really caught my attention, and I want to tell the story. I'm not sure if I can, how much time we got here. Uh, so uh, you, you control the horizontal, you I control know. the vertical. I so. know. I, I should have prepared myself to tell this story clearly. Um, so um, a, a listener goes by the name of Budget Free Pilot uh, has posted in the forums. Um, he says he says, "Okay, now I get it." Is the is the title of this thread. Um, and, uh, and, and basically, maybe I'll, I'll try and summarize this, and I hope I summarize it correctly. But, ba you know, he, he, was, he's, he met, like many people, was wrestling with the whole question of justifying the expense of learning how to fly because he really wants to learn, but he, he has limited funds and, and he has a life that he needs to take care of, a family and whatnot, and, and, and how do you rationalize this whole thing? And, and he came to an, this epiphany that he talks about in this posting where he says the, the, you can't look at it as a whole. You can't say it's a, a seventh thousand dollar expense or ten thousand dollar expense you got to say you know how much is my next lesson going to cost my next couple of lessons and you really got to kind of look at it in bite-sized pieces 
And uh, I really liked this notion. I, I, I like mm-hmm. it a lot um, because, you know, you know we, we talk to a lot of people who want to learn how to fly, and they ask this question all the time. We've talked about it on the podcast. What's the answer to the question of how much does it cost to fly? Um, and I'm kind of liking it. I, I'm still kind of playing around with it, but I'm liking this, this, this idea that it's not about, you know, it's almost Zen-like. It's not about reaching the top of the mountain. It's about the process of climbing the mountain. Um, you know, it's not about becoming a. It's not about being a pilot. It's about becoming a pilot. It's about right. learning how to fly. All right, you know, and and so you know the answer to. I mean, it would be like saying someone saying, "How much is it going to cost for me to live in this apartment?" All right, and for you to say, "Oh, it's going to cost," and then naming six mo- six years worth of total rent payments. All right, mm-hmm. well, that's not the way you think about how much it costs to live in an apartment. All right, you think of it on a monthly basis or whatever. All right, um, and I got to thinking about this as in terms of flight training. All right, flight training doesn't cost six thousand dollars or eight thousand dollars. Right, it costs. You know, uh, pull a number out of the air. It costs 150 bucks for your next lesson. Right. right. All right. 150 a week. Yeah. 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 You know, and uh, well, that's 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 very similar uh, thinking to my my answer to folks when they ask, "How much does it cost to fly your airplane?" And I generally say, uh, "You know, it costs this much in gas." Mm-hmm. I go, well, what about all that other stuff? Well, i got to pay all that other stuff to have the airplane. So that's really not, you know, I really don't look at that. Yeah, Yeah, I can go back and I can give you a fully amortized breakdown on what per hour costs were for last year based on all the accumulated expenditures divided by all the hours flown and come up with that. But when I need to take a trip, that's not how I think. Right. Because I pay that. I, I've, I've rationalized. I've settled with myself that this is yeah. what it costs to own the airplane. I'm willing to do that. Those are what it costs cost. to use it is a lot less. Yeah. It's yeah. gas money. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, and that uh, makes it sound a lot cheaper. <laughs> right. Um, budget-free pilots uh, uh, posting. Um, and, and he's talking a little bit more about, he's also wrestling with the question of whether he wants to try and buy an airplane or whether he wants to continue to rent airplanes. Oh. One, one, and, he, and he's also wrestling with sport pilot versus private pilot. Right, right. But one graph he writes in this, in this post is, uh, he says, why should I want to restrict my access to only LSAs, which are few and far between around these parts? Uh, he says, when I'm surrounded by flight schools that come highly recommended, stocked with an array of available Cessnas and Pipers, Sorry, Beach. Um, uh, more importantly, why am I in such a hurry? Even if I can only afford one flight lesson a week, that lesson is well within my budget, and I'll still be flying once a week, right? It's more than I fly a lot. Yeah, and that was what I, one of my, part of my response is that, yeah, if you go out and fly once a week or even once every other week as a student, chances are you're flying more than most yeah. um, licensed private pilots are, you know? And, uh, and you say, well, but I'm, it's with an instructor, so I'm not really flying, and that's not true after the first three or four lessons. You know, you're flying the airplane as much as you ever, well, you know, you're certainly flying the airplane. Um, you're flying the airplane all the time unless you f- come close to a food bar. Yeah. So uh, yeah. thinking of, the, you know, the, the, maybe the answer to the question, you know, how much does it cost to learn how to fly is it costs 150 bucks. All right. You know, um, and uh, and then you decide whether you're going to spend another 150 bucks, you know, but it's. Well, and as far as his, 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 he made a comment about, you know, your question, a rhetorical, why would I want to. Uh, restrict myself to uh, sport pilot, and, and my answer to that was: there's 
even if that's where you start, there's nothing that says you have to restrict yourself to that. Right. You consider it a progression. I mean, uh, you get your sport pilot. If you've gotten it with a regular CFI, as the rules are stated right now, you can apply pretty much all of that towards your private. Uh, you get to sport pilot, at least you can take somebody with you and go do some short trips. Then continue on with your private at your leisure and look at the airplane that, you know, has the additional seats that you think you want for the other things you want to do. Then you're not restricted to being a private pilot. You can go on and add your instrument rating, which opens you up to about half of the half of the time that you couldn't fly because of bad weather before. And then, wow, maybe you decide you want to do something more serious with it. So you're not restricted to an instrument-rated private ticket. You can get your commercial. There is no such thing as being restricted to something if your ambition wants to take you farther. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, and, and, and I think the, the one of the overriding points, though, in, in, in his post is he's, he's flying. Yeah, that's okay. right. He's, 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 there might be an instructor. There might not be. He might have to say, Mother, may I, uh, every time before he, he gets the keys. Um, but he's flying. He's flying, yeah. You know? and, and, uh, and that's you know, kind of the, one, of the, one of the objectives here. Um, talking about climbing the mountain, as someone uh, mentioned, one of the three of us mentioned here um, uh, earlier in this discussion, um, no one ever gets to the top of the mountain. There's yeah. always somebody who's flying heavier equipment or faster equipment or has more ratings or has more hours. Deal with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You are who you are, and and in flying uh, is its own objective here, its right. own end. Yeah. So don't focus so much on the on the private pilot check ride or the whatever right. check ride. You know. Um, you know. Consider the the, the the it as a process. We used to like to say at Apple, uh, the journey is the reward, and uh, it's kind of a, a Zen well, thing I- and. Uh, yeah. Right away, I'm never going to use that phrase again. <laughs> anyway. Is that before or after the hammer was thrown at the big screen? <laughs> Thank you to a budget-free pilot for uh, for uh, 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 giving us this thought. I like it. I like it a lot. And uh, it's yeah. in the forums if you want to take a look. Um, a thread called, Okay, Now I Get It. And uh, we'll put a link, uh, a detailed link in the show notes. What's next here? Let's see now. Uh, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here. We did that one. We did that one. Oh, David, you were kind of tickled by this uh, video that's floating around about repairing an airplane in flight. Oh, yeah. This uh, this just stunned me. Uh, You like that, huh? Okay, tell us why you like this. Well, when you go to the the link, uh, it's a YouTube video. Of a, uh, a woman named Gladys Engel, who was a member of a, uh, a flying group called the 13 Black Cats. Now, this is a vintage video. People should understand this is from a, a while ago. The, yeah, this is between the. This is. Whoops. Hang on a second. <laughs> you accidentally played the video. Now, there we go. Stop that video. Uh, the. Uh, this, the story here is, and this is, one of these airplanes looks like it could be a Curtis Jenny. Uh, airplane, this is post-World War One, not long after, 1920s sometime. Uh, airplane lost its left main gear wheel. So Gladys Engel, uh, rather comely young lady, she's... <laughs> She gets some help from some guys. They strap a replacement wheel to her back. She climbs on a second biplane, 
takes off. She transfers herself from the biplane she's in to the wing of the stricken biplane, crawls in, then crawls down onto the main gear trucks, replaces the wheel, and then gets back up on the wing of the now-repaired airplane while it comes in for a landing. She's not wearing a parachute. This is a make-or-break deal for her. You know, miss a hand grab here, and the the wheel's not going to do much for her except make it pretty certain that that's who she is. Oh, yeah, she was the lady trying to repair the airplane. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. I've seen some pretty crazy barnstorming and stunt flying and flying circus acts over the years, a lot of stuff from the 20s. But this of an actual repair in the air uh, is like they say, don't try this at home. Yeah. I don't know. uh, Okay, so you're you're giving this a lot more credibility than I did, I confess. I just kind of looked at this being a stunt video that, you know, that... uh, um, a, clearly, stunt in, 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 a stunt, maybe. I mean, did they deliberately... Yeah, contrived, but genuinely mm-hmm. dangerous is what you're saying. I, I, I couldn't tell you one way or the other, and there's no data or no information backing up that this not being real or this not being a stunt. But the actual act of transferring and putting the wheel on, that's real. Yeah. And that's just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the 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 I have to get a larger string uh, to tie to my computer and and connect the the other end to the internet here before I look at that. But I'll, I will look at it. Yeah, I know. I don't. I don't dare open it either on my little hotel internet connection here. Telephone, telephone. Someone's phone is ringing. Um, <laughs> uh, it's funny thing is she never is she never occupies a cockpit seat. Right. In either of these airplanes. Yeah. Even when she's done, she just hangs out on the wing until they come in. Well, the yeah, the yeah. takeoff, she's standing, she's holding on, she's standing on the wing, holding on to the cockpit uh, uh, front seat. And then she climbs out on the right wing, transfers to the left wing of the other airplane. Uh, you know, you, you don't get to often say something like this about a woman, but she's got cojones. <laughs> okay. All righty then. All righty then. I'm going to jump around a little bit here. Uh, Jeb, class discussion here. Um, yeah. a, uh, a a cartoon uh, discussing a certain uh, aspect of the physics of flight. I believe is what it is here. Um, uh-huh. Why did this catch your attention? I just it just did. Um, um, periodically, the the question. You know, we talk about Bernoulli's theorems, and we talk about how the air on the upper side of the airfoil is at lower pressure because it has to move faster. The air on the lower side of the airfoil is moving at at, at a steady state, um, and um, the 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 wing is kind of sucked up into the uh, into the air into the atmosphere, and that's right. how lift is created and all this. And then, of course, someone you know in the back of the room will always raise their hand and say. Well, how is it that airplanes can fly upside down? Right. And okay. This, Why isn't it falling? You know, da 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 da. Right. And of course, one of the answers to that is angle of attack. Another answer to that is power. Um, you know, I, you put enough power on a brick, you can fly the brick. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, um, you know, things like that. But I, I just, I just kind of tickled my fancy, and, and <laughs> again, periodically, funny. this this question comes up. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the cartoon goes on to uh, to propose three possible answers to this question, um, 
and uh, I don't know, maybe I won't ruin the joke here, but people can read the, uh, the reasonable, not so reasonable, and funny uh, answers to this. And, uh, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, of course, and there's also, I mean, to make it even more complicated, there are wings that are curved on both the bottom and top. That's true. All right? That's true. Um, which really begs the question then. So if the wing is curved on the top and the bottom, then this whole air traveling faster thing totally makes no sense, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No? Well, there, there, are, there are people who <laughs> adhere to the school of thought that it's not vacuum on the upper surface of the wing, but uh, increased pressure on the lower right. surface, right. which that's, is why it works upside down. Right. That's the whole angle of attack theory. Um, right. And, well, uh, I mean, yeah, and, and you can get a, a, a piece of plywood, okay, and, and tie it to the back of your pickup truck. And drive down the street, and it will create lift. Oh, yeah. Okay. Every time I bring a piece of plywood home from, from Lowe's, it tries to fly away. There's yeah. no question about it. And, uh, yeah. um, so, I mean, I Bernoulli, Bernoulli's uh, work is, is, was great. It was appropriate. It, it's correct. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end all and be all. It doesn't explain everything. Uh, next time Amy's on the podcast, we'll put her on the spot. We'll we'll see which of these three answers she gives us. And uh, <laughs> uh, why just Amy? Well, she's our resident CFI. See, so uh, um, all right, David. Finally, um, you seem to want to rant about the FAA here. What's the weekly rant? I'm shocked. Yeah, shocked. Know, really, exactly. Uh, They've 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 just been on a roll lately. Yeah. All right. Your your note here says, "Who the hell is in charge at FAA? What's going on?" Well, a, a, a few months back, uh, the FAA's under this mandate to survey uh, about the amount of time certain forms and processes take for the people in the field. Uh, so they posited this question about uh, the form that's used for field approval, 337 form, uh, as if it was a once-a-year report that mechanics had to turn in about the work that they'd done in the past year. It didn't. The order, the request for the information, didn't seem to recognize that mechanics do this for you know all sorts of things, uh, major modifications. Uh, 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 you know, putting putting in a different radio uh, uh, can be done on a field approval without a supplemental type certificate. So that was kind of screwy. Then the FAA came out with an advisory that <coughs> said that ADSB installations could only be done under STCs. Right. Which was another. Are you fracking nuts? Okay. Yeah. This week. It has to do with a letter of interpretation that stated that instrument time log toward an instrument rating cannot be counted toward the instrument hours requirement for the commercial pilot certificate. Just absolutely bizarre. Uh-huh. And, 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 and then now that was three strikes and you're fracking out. Now, what, what's their rationale for not counting these hours? I don't think there is a rationale. I, I, I can't find one. Yeah. It was like, well, this this letter of, of uh, interpretation uh, just kind of came out of it came out of a, a, an answer that the AOP or that the FAA gave to an, an inquiry. Uh, right. Well, in, does in it, the commercial syllabus, there's a requirement that you do a certain amount of hood work. Right. 
Okay, and you can get a commercial, a restricted commercial, without an instrument rating. Yeah. Which basically doesn't let you go more than 25 miles from home. Uh, but you could carry people on a tour, as uh, long as you started and stopped at the same airport. Uh, yeah. But normal commercial pilots must have an instrument rating, to, basically, to get hired, uh, but to exercise their craft. Well, if you've gotten an instrument rating... You've done all of that hood work. But there was this interpretation that's saying, well, what you got in instrument training can't count toward what you're supposed to do for the commercial because they're different. Is the well, ration- And it gets, it gets better than that. Really? Because there are actually three questions being asked here by, by, the, uh, uh, by the requester. And this is a, a letter of interpretation issued by uh, um, uh, headquarters uh, chief counsel's office. Um, first question is kind of a nothing burger. Uh, the third, Dave just has discussed the second question. The third question involves uh, the night uh, cross country uh, time requirement uh, for the commercial uh, certificate. And um, the question is basically, you know, someone who does, someone who completes the, the night cross country requirement while training for the private pilot certificate, uh, does that experience count towards the commercial certificate? And the letter says no, uh, regardless of, quote, regardless of whether the applicant previously completed a night cross-country flight that meets the requirements under da-da-da-da-da, the applicant must satisfy that requirement while training for a commercial pilot certificate, not while training for a different certificate. Right. Whiskey, tango, foxtrot. Yeah, the, really. The idea here is that the applicant have that experience, not that that experience occur within a specific time frame. Um, is the I'm issue, sorry. Yeah, is the issue here, and it definitely sounds screwed up, all right, but I'm wondering whether the issue here is that in some of these circumstances, you're training to do something that you're not currently legal to do, and as a result, you can't be pilot in command, and that's the time that they don't want to count. You can only count pilot in command time towards these further ratings. Is that maybe what their weird rationale is? Does that make any sense at all? You know what I'm talking about, all right? It's, it's, they so don't no, know what they're talking about. Yeah, so I'm they don't, sure. yeah, there's there's no requirement. Um, okay, the commercial pilot certificate requires a night cross country. Okay, fine. Um, heretofore, there has never been in the in the um, history of the commercial pilot certificate that um, the student, I mean, the, the, uh, the person have a, a private pilot certificate or a student pilot certificate when that night cross country is conducted. Um, the only requirement going, you know, uh, as I recall going up the ladder here is the first cross country or first couple of cross countries, depending on how well you do the first one, uh, is with an instructor. Okay. You get a dual credit, you get checked out to do other cross countries. Uh, you're, 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 uh, maybe signed off to do you know unlimited cross countries over a certain area, whatever. So we're doing this. Um, in, in, we're doing this as a as a student pilot. We got a night cross country under our belt. Okay, whoopee! You know, log it done, done. Um, and let's let's turn the, according to this interpretation. Let's turn this on its head a little bit further. We're a private pilot. We're not training for the commercial certificate. We're flying for personal transportation, and we conduct a night cross-country that meets the requirements of the commercial pilot certificate. Mm-hmm. Um, this interpretation says 
that the applicant must satisfy that requirement while training for a commercial pilot certificate, oh, okay. not while training for a different certificate. So there's two strikes there already. So I, the whole thing is, and, and AOPA is right to, to ta- take this on. Um, it, this is, is Dave, and Dave, thanks for bringing this to our attention. This is just, you know, one more um Whiskey Tango Foxtrot from from headquarters general counsel. Right. Is it all right? Here's another scenario. Is it possible that this is what I'll call the Bob Hoover effect or a Bob Hoover situation, where where a a, a, a local um, individual at a phys, a local FISDO loses his mind, all right, and and takes some action that the rest of the FAA then feels honor bound to to support. Um, is this well, a, is it an interpretation that came from one individual FISDO that's gotten carried away? Maybe. We, we've certainly seen that before, and, and uh, um, anybody interested in, in, in a, 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 a kind of a blow-by-blow of such an episode, go to AvWeb, uh, type in the search box, dual breaks, and uh-huh. you'll, well, dual controls, and you'll pull up a, a piece I did uh, maybe 10, 11 years ago now, 10 years ago now, um, on, on exactly uh, that kind of scenario. Yeah. Um, that said, um, I don't know. From this letter, we can't tell. I, yeah. I, I can answer that question. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, this didn't come from a regional office. Oh, really? Okay. That's the, that's, that's, the, that's the worst part of this. This came from the office of the chief counsel. Right. Okay. But uh, okay. Jack's question, though, is what's the genesis? What's the, the impetus behind this? And, and um, questions like this, this would, don't just come out of the blue. Um uh, it's entirely possible, and, and Eastern Region uh, uh, FAA has been notorious for some of this. And I see that the letter itself comes out of New Jersey, which is, uh, I believe, Eastern Region. So who knows? Yeah. Okay. David, are you done ranting? Is that it? No, he's yeah. never done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it would be nice that some of my friends at 800 Independence, that's the FAA headquarters, have been warning been sending little low-level notes to me for about a decade about the aviation institutional brain drain at the FAA. The the loss of people who actually know the regulations, know the system, uh, the loss of people that that came to the FAA because they loved flying, they were pilots and wanted to help advance the, the, the state of the art in the community. Uh, people being replaced by folks who say, wow, a job at the FAA? You know, I always wanted to get into aviation. Sure. And they take the civil service test and they get themselves in the door based on more generic job description requirements. Uh, and then they become on-the-job trainees about aviation. Uh, that's the way that these guys like to play it. Uh, now, you know, you don't get to be a FISDO inspector with no knowledge. Oh, yeah, you want to bet. Actually, you can. <laughs> trained in the field by some guy that may have had an interpretation wrong for years, and he's going to pass that erroneous interpretation on to you. Uh, this three little things in the last few months have made me finally see what these friends at FAA are talking about, that we're seeing some stuff that bears no resemblance to the reality or the practical practices that have gone on for decades. And I look at this as the latest in, in, in a series and God help us. 
Mr. Babbitt, weed out some of these people because this is just nuts. Yeah, they're 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 in positions in um, that are beyond their um, their understanding at this point. Yeah. yeah, they don't have the institutional knowledge. Yeah. Shout outs. What do you got here? I says two on the list. I'm going to go first. Um, so you guys, I'm not sure if you guys know about this. Right? And I'm not kidding. This is this is real. The three of us are apparently going to be characters in a book. Okay. Um, there is a. Uh, Hang on a moment while I dial my attorney. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it could come. No, it's not going to come to that. Um, there is a uh, an annual writing sort of festival or, or, or thing that goes on called. Uh, it's called National November Novel Writing Month or something like that. It's like NaNoWriMo is the uh, is the weird acronym for this. All right, very popular. Um, what happens is that uh, each day throughout the month of November. Uh, people who participate in this thing um, commit to write a certain number of words so that at the end of the month they have completed the first draft of a complete novel. It's a writing exercise. It's a writing, you know, training thing. It uh, motivates people to actually write each day. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's an interesting process, an interesting exercise. Um, a, a good friend of the podcast, uh, Rick Felty, uh, who is. Uh, uh, somewhat famous for his really cool flying videos. He's the one who mounts three or four cameras inside the cockpit of his airplane and uh, shoots all these angles and then edits together um, these really interesting flying videos, um, is uh, participating in NaNoWriMo uh, this year. And uh, he announced on Twitter uh, a little while back that uh, the three of us are apparently going to appear as characters in his, in his book. Um, as near as I can get, I haven't read any bits of this, but as near as I can understand, uh, what he's writing, his uh, the sort of the uh, literary device he's using is uh, is the uh, uh, road trip. All right, he's got a character who's apparently traveling, I don't know where. All right, and apparently encountering various adventures as they go. All right, and um, as near as I can tell, according to Rick, um, they are apparently going to cross paths with Jeb. Jeb, Dave, and Jack, and have some sort of adventure, and that's all I know. And I'm simultaneously thrilled and terrified, all right, um, by the whole notion. And uh, I can't wait to see what comes of this. But uh, we're going to be characters. Oh in a book. my! Yeah, I know. Oh my is right. I know. We've we've created these personas for ourselves here, and we may now be about to pay for it. I don't know what's. Uh-huh. You know, I'm sure lining Googles will be involved. I, I'm uh, going to say that the, the um, uh, a beer podcast with an aviation problem phrase is going to rear its ugly head one more time. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, Rick, we're looking forward to it. Um, we're going to have to have breakfast at uh, Nashua again soon, so you can fill me in on what's going on here. I don't know if any of this is posted. I know some of these NaNoWriMo people post their stuff as they go, and I've been afraid to look to see whether or not Rick's posting his as he goes. So, uh, I just but. I just want to know if there are any. Um, any horse farms or any stables or anything like that near where where Rick lives, uh, because it may be necessary to put a horse's head in his bed sometime. <laughs> Who's also got a shout out? Uh, um, yeah. Real quick one. Yeah. Um, I I have talked about uh, uh, my neighbor Katie Caron uh, in the past. Uh, how uh, she's uh, you know bought a 172. She and her husband bought a 172, and 
Uh, she's doing her flight training, yada, yada, yada. She passed her private pilot written last week. Oh, boy. Hey, way to go, Katie. Moving right yeah, along, she's, yeah. She's moving right along. She's, uh, she's done um, um, at least one of the required cross-countries, uh, dual cross-country. She's signed off to uh, um, operate in the local area to various airports, et cetera, et cetera. Um, um, she was telling me about a... Excuse me, a Cirrus driver who uh, cut her off in the pattern the other day at Venice and yada, yada, yada. So she's moving right along. And uh, I'll, I'll provide some, some occasional updates on her progress. But uh, uh, it's, it's just it's great to see this and great to see her enthusiasm. And I just thought I'd pass that along. Yeah, it's great. I love following the progress of these folks. That's, that's awesome. David, shout outs? Nothing special this week. Okay. All right, Except then. Except to all of the listeners who... Keep us getting up at oh dark thirty. Yeah, I know. Um, so the sun is rising here in Las Vegas. Uh, I can see uh, the uh, sun shining on the. I'm my my uh, obviously not not at the uh, hotel that faces the airport this time. Um, so my view is out to the west across the uh, valley here at uh, in mm. Las Vegas. But I can see the sun shining off the uh, the mountains in the in the distance. It's really pretty beautiful, pretty spectacular. And uh, I, I, you're in, you're in Vegas, and I realize that's not you know the quote West Coast unquote. But I have to ask you this: yeah. Have you seen any uh, unannounced, uh, unknown missile launches out that way? <laughs> oh, that's right, uh, that's right. I don't know if we wanted to talk. Maybe we'll talk about that next week after the, after the uh, you know my my you that's, know yeah, that's not us. That's that's just. That's not Jay. Mass, yeah, mass hysteria. <laughs> mass hysteria. Although well, I, you know, it, it's all it is. All it is is just a Skynet test, okay? That's, That's all it is. Oh, I should tell you, Jeb. Oh, I have something that you're just going to eye when I come down there, all right? Okay. So um, I think you guys have even given me a hard time about this in the past, all right? Um, it was in the news about four, five, six months ago, um, this, this helicopter, this RC helicopter that mm-hmm. you control from your iPhone, all right, uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. and there were videos floating around the net. Okay, well, a week ago, all right, I was at an event, and a guy wanders in with a great big brown box, one of the uh, tech people. All right, and and it turns out he's got one of these helicopters. Oh, cool. It's actually a so-called quadricopter because it's got four four uh, uh, rotors. All right, uh-huh. and. Um, and so during one of the quiet moments uh, when, no one, one of the, when none of the guests were around, um, he drags this thing out all right, and sets it down indoors, sets it down on the floor, all right, and whips out his iPhone and touches a couple of t- buttons on the screen, all right, and this thing takes off. All right? And although it looks just like it looks on the video, seeing it in person is a whole different thing. All right? It is spooky. It is creepy. All right? It is way cool. It, it, because... You know, unlike most RC helicopter, RC flying, you know, which you kind of uh, certainly an amateur is the the aircraft it kind of bobbles around and you're trying to control mm-hmm. it, you know, and it's moving you know this way and that way and up and down. This particular device does um, it, it has all it's basically autonomous. All right, for a lot of its flight. All right, you don't need to balance it and fly it and go up and down. All right, it has in, in inertial sensors or accelerometers or whatever. Right, and it stabilizes itself. Um, How much it, does one of these things cost? Three hundred dollars. Okay. Um, it also has a little sonic uh, sonar um, uh, uh, alt- altitude rangefinder in the bottom, uh-huh. so it can uh-huh. sense how high it is above the floor. Right. So when you push the button that says go, you don't have to like say you know increase the power and do this. You just hit a launch button. All right, and it floats up in the air like four feet off the floor. All right, and then just hovers there 
pretty stable, all right. And I'm watching this thing, uh, you know, in this, uh, in this, in this, in you know, indoor big, big lobby kind of area, all right. And it's just floating there, and it's. I'm thinking, and you were the first person I thought of. I'm thinking, this is Skynet right here. Three, this is the- three questions. Yeah. What is its range? Uh-huh. What is its altitude? And what is its payload? I.e., will it carry a video camera? All right. It- it has a video camera built in. Uh-huh. It has two video cameras built in. One looks forward and one looks down. All right. Uh-huh. Um, it just it just rises off the floor and floats there, looking at you. All right. And you <laughs> you know, and I kind of walked over to it and I just sort of bumped it because it's like you know sort of at at shoulder height. And so I kind of walked over and kind of gently bumped it. All right. And it just kind of floated and it came back where it was. All right. It for all the world looks like it's aware. All right. I mean, it's just <laughs> spooky. All right. You know, and, and you can see it's got the Cyclops eye, you know, in the front of its, of its little fuselage. All right. You know, and the guy was like having it come towards me, you know, and I'm going, Oh crap, this is, you know, Jeb's going to freak. And, uh, um, so not only you see, you see this, you see this, this missile kind of, you know, bend down from the bottom of the fuselage and, and, yeah. and, and so, aim uh, itself at you. Well, now the facial recognition software that, uh, applies to the image captured by the helicopter of Jack Hodgson can be matched up with rider truck rentals anywhere in the country. Yeah. So it's, uh, but here's the, here's the real Skynet part. All right. Is that, and this is going to get a little geeky for some folks, but Jeb will understand. All right. The, the, the computer innards of this thing is it's a little Linux box. All right. It's a real serious computer inside this thing. All right. And it's hackable. All right. In fact, they published the API. You can program this thing to do other things. All right. There are other iPhone apps for controlling this thing. All right. Um, you can hack into this thing. And so, I mean, it literally could become self-aware. You know, there could become swarms of these things that interact with each other, and it becomes this living. This is like, oh, Jeb, you're going to love this. And so here I am in Las Vegas, all right, and I'm wandering through the little shopping mall here in the Venetian, and there's a Brookstones, and I had heard this about Brookstones. I peek into Brookstones, and they're selling these things in Brookstones, all right? And so last evening, after we were done with our day's work, I wandered over to Brookstones, and I now have one of these oh. Parrot AR drones sitting on my little coffee table here in the hotel room. And I was flying it around the hotel room last night. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, How big is it? It's, uh, uh, it's about 18 inches, uh, you know, kind of square-ish or uh-huh. round. Uh-huh. All right. It's got four blades. Each blade is maybe six inches uh, tip to tip. Is um, it quiet? Uh, it, it's not, you know, not really loud. You can certainly hold a conversation, but it makes a kind of distinctive buzzing noise when these four blades start spinning up. Um, but, uh, you know, and it, uh, and it, and Dude, the, you got to bring that hidden river. I, I'm going to bring it to hidden river. Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, so, uh, uh, it's very cool. I'm, I, I, bought, I wanted to get it especially now and I got to figure out how to get it home because I'm going to Canada after I leave here. So I'm going to just ship it to me. No, just no, ship no, it to no, me. I'll, I'll, I'll hold it for you. Yeah, get back down. Here. Not quite. You need an iPhone, man. You need an iPhone. Uh, um, no, I need an iPad. You need an iPad or an iPod touch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I got to take it home and, and show it off to my brother and my nephew. I'm going to get big, big, big uncle points for this one. Uh, so let me see if I got this straight. You've got a droid helicopter controlled by an iPhone. Yeah, no, it's not a droid helicopter. It's a drone, AR drone. But yeah, it is a droid helicopter. Oh yeah, I see what you're saying. The it's name a droid. Is drone. Yeah, yeah. The name is drone. It to do things. But it is a yeah. This is not the droid we were looking for, though. 
And so it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's very cool. Uh, we're taking it down uh, later today into the exhibit hall where we're working. We've got this monster. I mean, this makes a hangar look small, this huge space. And uh, we're going to fly it down there this afternoon. So maybe but, we'll shoot but, some video. And, uh, will it will it hit womp rats down in Beggar's Canyon? <laughs> yeah, I know. You never know. You never know. It's very cool. It's kind of spooky. It's very cool. Uh, where were we? Did I start saying goodnight to everybody? Dave Higdon is a... Uh, um, is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, ea.net, uh, turn over a rock. And Jeb Burnside uh, is a freelance aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? Well, aviationsafetymagazine.com is a good place to check out some of the day job stuff. And uh, jeburnside.com is the personal website. Uh, occasionally pop up on uh, aea.net and on uh, avweb.com. Yeah. And very soon now you're going to be founding the Small Aviation Museum's uh, directory website, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's part of that. And and uh, probably the uh, this is Skynet website also. <laughs> Okay. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes and for all the other help he gives us with the podcast. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many other listeners who have created the uh, uh, great uh, disclaimer clips and uh, audio uh, bits that we put into the, into the podcast. Uh, we are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan, so you want to get as old as Jeb, go fly. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Why anyone would want to be this old, I have no idea. TTFN. enough talking let's go flying why anyone would want to be this old i have no idea ttf fan (laughs) (laughs) jeb you didn't hear it because you broke up in the middle uh jeb i want you to say ttfn one more time please ttfn